Brilliant Misfits, Episode 60, an interview with Raquel Dubois, Finally Saying Yes, her story of finally saying yes to her sole purpose. More of the systems that are working individually, like our body, this amazing thing that we have as a body system and our brain and all of its different ways of working, this mind-body system, it's incredible. And then we have these kind of bigger systems. They're all actually showing us the same thing. Hello and welcome to Brilliant Misfits, talks with women who are the renegades, the creatives, the entrepreneurs, the artists who didn't fit in and how they've turned it around by courageously following the beat of their own heart. We'll be discussing all things creative, mindful and artful to inspire you to do it your way and be brilliant with your host, Asia Kennedy. everyone. Welcome to Brilliant Misfits. I'm Asia Kennedy, your host. I've been particularly interested lately on interviewing women who have that background of being a misfit or not fitting in. And But more than that, I'm really interested in the story of how that those circumstances in their life, usually starting from early childhood, has actually developed and guided them into the current work that they do. And usually that work is very special work, very gifted work, whether they're a healer or coach or an artist, not fitting in and having to find their own way in the world and being guided to do that in various ways is an intriguing story. And I really want to share in the next few episodes, in the next couple of months, different stories from women who have experienced this, who have been led onto a path that they might not even have wanted to be on initially, but in the end have found that that being aligned with that in their sole purpose, being aligned with their sole purpose, has been the greatest gift. And so in essence, being a misfit and not fitting in has guided them to find their own way to what they're really supposed to be doing here in the world and finding a great joy and encouragement in doing that and sharing that with others I think inspires us all to hear these personal stories of victory over what sometimes are like very difficult and and challenging circumstances in life and how they've been able to turn that around and find that pearl within the oyster. So today's guest is Raquel Dubois, and I'm going to introduce you to her, and I hope you enjoy this series. I'm really excited to talk with Raquel today. She's a a nervous system specialist who uses mind-body medicine to help her clients experience wholeness from within. Now, she's got a huge toolkit that she draws from science, psychology, energy, physical body to facilitate these transformations for women who are seeking that sort of missing piece. And she teaches a very unique way of being that brings alignment, acceptance, and peace and empowers women to get more visible and share their gifts in the world. And I think that's another reason why I really want to talk with Raquel today. So welcome to the show, Raquel. I'm thrilled that you're here. Thank you, Aisha. It's such a pleasure to be talking to you today. Thank you. Okay, so let's dive in and um, maybe just tell the listeners what you're currently doing and then we can kind of backtrack of how that all came about. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at the moment I'm working, I'm running my own business, working uh, with people one-on-one, helping them to rewire their nervous system. 
Um, and that generally means just helping people work with a nervous system that's a little stressed, burnt out, maybe traumatized, um, anything that is really kind of overwhelming to the person in their life or if they want to actually make some adjustments so that they can expand and allow more of their life in. So I'm kind of helping people in two ways, people who maybe have had some stress that they really need to, to, to work through and overcome and other people who are really trying to just expand to become more of who they are and to be able to offer more in the world. Mm. Now, I know that um, you are sort of destined in some way. I think that's a good word to use. I don't know. Mm. Destined to become a healer. And you had to go through a bit of an initiation to become a healer. Is that correct? Yeah. I, I certainly didn't realize that was what was happening to me at the time. But I, I you know, looking back, I, I do know that it, it was easily from the age of 12, I was kind of putting my hands on people. And, and you know, I had family members who kind of come up to me clutching their side and say, Oh, I've got this pain here. Raquel, can you just, you know, massage it or do something to help with it? And I'd look at them and I'd touch that thing of pain on their side. I said, The pain's not, that's not where the problem is. You know, it's over here. Um, and sure enough, you know, family members would all, all kind of report all these kind of miraculous healings. And in fact, I, I still, every three weeks, um, I still go and give my, my parents a massage or, you know, a body treatment. And, you know, my mum kind of goes through stages where she thinks it's not helping her and all that sort of stuff, you know, on, in a mental level. So we kind of um, stop for, you know, a week, at, you know, one. Well, we might skip one of those three-week sessions and both of them always inevitably come back to me and say, ah, oh, yeah, we made a mistake, we really need this, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so, it, like, it really, it, I see it even in my parents who are over 75 and who are quite resistant, you know, old-fashioned conservative, and they change dramatically when, you know, when I just work with them and, I've kind of got past just working with my hands, although I know that was kind of where it where it came started from is that everything came through my hands. Um, but you know, over time, I've realised it's actually the energy that I can hold and the energy that I bring and just kind of support to be present so that people can heal. Mm, that's beautiful. And just tell us some of the um, modalities that you have studied and worked with because I know you're just so passionate about um, doing this work and helping mm -hmm. to support people to mm -hmm. really be the, you know, the fullest expression of themselves and helping them to release things that are in the way. And there's often a lot of traumas that happen in our lives that we carry and we don't even realize we're carrying them. And it does affect our nervous system. It does. Um, you know, I often, uh, I know when I was at my most vulnerable um, kind of before, just before I started really intensely studying trauma and how to how to how to actually really really work with trauma, I, it was it was difficult for me to even open my front door, and it wasn't because of agoraphobia. It was because I could feel that I hadn't protected myself for the day. There was something in my body meeting the day, the, just the air and the energy of the day through opening my door that I knew that I had to be prepared for. 
And so it's kind of like getting dressed in a way. But I felt that really palpably at that time was that it wasn't the right time for me to be able to go out into the world because the world felt traumatizing just on that level. Mm. So So, it was kind of, mm. yeah, sorry. No, I was just thinking, so you've had to go on your own personal journey through trauma and experiencing things in your own body, physical body, Mm. um, which has probably helped you in your work, I would imagine. Well, it's driven me because the majority of my life I had um, inexplicable somatic symptoms. And that means that basically I would start shaking, I would start sweating, I would start, you know, like palpitating. Um, I would feel just this kind of weird kind of crazy energy moving through me that almost like took me through um, some kind of weird dream state if I was stressed in any way. And that would be generally emotional stress in like when I was able to kind of track it back, it would be just something that had triggered my emotions. But I, I wasn't so aware of exactly that I'd been emotional or or I, I was aware that I'd been emotionally triggered, but the response came somatically in my body and it was so powerful that it just totally drowned out the emotion. Mm. Um, and that came from, um, what we now know as a presentation of pre-verbal trauma. So it's something that comes before there's language and then really the, you know, the person and myself in this case, there's only one way to express um, this kind of assault on the nervous system that's happening in the here and now that is somehow linked to an assault on the nervous system in the past, which is why you're getting the somatic symptoms. It, it can only sort of come through the body because it, it came at a point in the person's life that could actually be in utero. It may really, you know, like literally be at that moment of conception. It may have been at um, the, you know, in that kind of first, usually often six months of life, you know, prior to language, maybe a little bit later. Um, And there's also intergenerational aspects that we now know. And I actually have all of those. I've been able to track through my, what it was like uh, in my family history and all the generations where there's been trauma, um, basically cumulative trauma through the generations, through five or six generations back through my mother's uh, life and family timeline. And I know that my, you know, my mother um, was really traumatized um, and she has never faced her own trauma. And, um, and so she was carrying me and all of the fear that she had about herself and about what it was going to be like to bring life into the world she really transmitted that to me and I was incubated, if you like, in this kind of womb of fear. Mm. And, and that was pretty much how I grew and how, you know, how my body and not my nervous system and everything else grew was, was saturated in this, in this kind of fluid of fear. So um, fascinating. I, I totally uh, believe in the, in that, you know, because everything is transmitted energetically, emotionally, on all different levels. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm curious, like, for something like that, if, if you heal, say you're healing yourself of these, yes. of these, you know, um, wounds or traumas, mm-hmm. does that heal? Do you believe it heals the lineage as well, your ancestry? Yeah, so the, I was actually having a chat with a colleague about that over the weekend. I was doing some 
professional training. Mm. And we were talking about how we're actually seeing now in our um, clients and our patients, we're seeing healing not just happen in the subsequent generations, which is where a lot of focus has been, like let's do this healing so that our kids don't have to be Mm. carrying all this trauma. But we're actually now seeing um, the trauma healing backwards as well. Um, One of my colleagues was reporting to me how she had seen a a grandmother um, be cured of cancer. So her cancer had gone into remission. She was working with the granddaughter. And so there's actually, I know when I look at my parents and how much has changed in my parents and even even, um, in my mother's extended family, how much healing has happened since I've really focused on mine. Mm. And I, I don't really have a lot of contact with that kind of extended family, but I'm, but I am aware that they're doing their healing work, mm. um, and that really all started after I, I focused on mine. You know, I did a three-year um, training in somatic experiencing, which is a trauma renegotiation therapy that um, focuses on on working with resolving and renegotiating all different kinds of trauma. That will include the kind of pre-verbal stuff I've talked about, but it also includes things like, you know, motor vehicle accidents and assaults and even things like, you know, um, shock and um, horror, like when people see traumatic things. Mm. Um, so there's a whole range of way that you can, you can work and working um, in a way that um, even though I do my sessions via Skype, we actually just keep um, focusing on the body. So we don't um, – the narrative is there, but it's not the thing that informs us about the healing. Mm. So yeah. the story we, – we don't have to go into the story or we just use the story as a means to get into the body. Mm, it makes but so much sense, yeah. yeah. We, it's, it's so – because what happens is as soon as we start using story, we're actually using a different part of our brain that was traumatised. So it's actually a different part of the brain. It's 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 the, in the subcortical structures of the brain, which we know as like the hippocampus and um, those kind of deep brain structures, the limbic system, might, mm. a lot of people might know it as. Um, so it's in the limbic system that um, where, where trauma actually is held. So the limbic system is the part where a lot of sensations are held. Mm. So there's no point us kind of talking about trauma because the trauma is not really in the what's that's called the prefrontal cortex the upper part of the brain the trauma's not really held there it's only held there if we continually kind of keep ourselves on a loop of talking about it but where it's actually really held we need to get into that part of the brain so if we do it via the body we're actually in the right spot yeah that's Um, amazing and that's why that's why the bot and you know it's it's um it's kind of like Bessel van der Kolk and and all of the new traumatology and um, researchers are all saying there's only you know this is the way now that um, we know is you know there's a variety of different modalities to work with the body to assist trauma so I'm not necessarily saying there's only one and I I happen to know it but for resolving trauma we need to be using the body. Mm. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of traumatic uh, men that return from war yes. and they, they, you know, they, they just have so much trauma in their bodies. And I know 
that talking and going to therapies does mm. not release it. And yeah. um, they're often just suffering and suffering because, you know, I don't think in general the world hasn't really caught up with what you're talking about and, and the taking way of working through the body. Yeah, it's definitely taking a while. I know in my own family history, uh, back five generations, that's actually it was war trauma that, that began my kind of lineage of trauma. And um, it was this kind of perfect storm of about five different kinds of trauma that began my family, you know, inheritance, if you like, because we had, um, I had um, ancestors who had, one was a career soldier, he'd, he'd been in four wars, um, another one had gone to, to war, and they'd both come back, and um, three of those um, sets of ancestors had all, were all immigrants, so only one had been born in Australia. All uh, three of those others, this is all on my mother's side, they were all um, immigrants. So immigration, we know, is a highly traumatic thing just in itself. It's one of the biggest stresses. It actually can can be trauma traumatizing as well. When you think about refugees, you know, we totally understand that there's trauma involved in that experience. So in my family generation, we had three immigrants out of four. We had two men who had gone off to war, uh, one who had gone off to many, both of them had come back with an injury that prevented them from being able to continue working. So we're not able to, you know, in, in you know five generations ago, it was the men who were supporting their families. You know that mm. it wasn't that wasn't the women generally. So um, they were unable to fulfil their function as husbands and men, um, and that had come through from from war injury. So they became frustrated and angry and turned to alcohol. And one turned to kind of very severe alcohol consumption. He was drinking methylated spirits. And both of them then um, turned, became violent towards their spouses. Mm. So we had all this kind of cascade layering of trauma that, you know, ended up in spousal violence and abuse. And, you know, two generations later, it, it actually showed up as sexual abuse in the line. Mm. Um, and so it, it wasn't actually within the family, it was outside of the family, but two family members were sexually abused. And then, you know, and then in my generation, we're actually carrying all of that. So I actually have really distinct memories of being terrified by me, of men. And it's not from an experience I've ever had. Right, yeah. So yeah. I had to work through all that trauma of being really frightened, especially of men's sexual energy. That was actually my one of my greatest fears was when men's sexual energy was alive and present. That really frightened or disgusted me. It was one of the two. It was actually fear. But, you know, it, it um, sometimes I would, you know, have this kind of response of disgust, which was just to mask my fear. Um, and I had to work through that that wasn't actually mine. Mm. I had to discover that. You know, and that was a, that was, I hadn't realized that it was just, it had nothing to do with me at all. I think that's a huge thing that you're saying, Raquel. And I hope for the listeners out there that, you know, really, really get that, that sometimes these things that we feel are much bigger than mm. just our individual self. It's really important to realize that. And I think that the work that you're doing and other people in this line are doing is really important because we mm. need to it's a time right now that this needs to be healed it needs to be healed on that individual level so that collectively we can move on yes 
Yes, I totally agree. It, it, this is all about, you know, it is a, it's a, it's the microcosm and the macrocosm, and and this is, you know, our family system is just showing us um, more of the systems that we're, are working individually, like our body, this amazing thing that we have as a body system and our brain and all of its different ways of working this mind body system it's incredible and then we have these kind of bigger systems they're all actually showing us the same thing mm. but just in you know in kind of different manifestations of of what we're looking at um and that that is the the case is we're all got to do our own healing work to heal ourselves heal our bodies heal our families heal our communities and 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 heal the people we've never met and and never known and and that's really for me that's why trauma work is so important because if we end up with a world that's with more regulated nervous systems than dysregulated nervous systems we're not going to have things like war we're not going to have you know crazy politicians threatening war we're not going to have people postu postulating or egos about, you know, like all those things come from people who are carrying fear and who are responding to how their nervous system kind of moves and shakes around that fear. You know, some people shut down around fear and some people get bigger and noisier around when they're feeling fear. Mm. But if we can actually manage our fear and hold our fear and be present with our fear, which is what a regulated nervous system would be able to do. So it's not about eradicating fear. Mm. It's literally about saying, oh, fear is present. Wow. Can I be with this fear? And can I can I just be with it? Like it's like we don't have to process it or or you know immerse ourselves into it and drown ourselves. But can we actually just be present with the fear and with the sensations that come along with the fear mm, and then that. just let's move through mm, i love that be yeah. present being present with the fear so mm -hmm. in your work how do you help um do you work just with women or men as well or men men as well although okay. not so many men mm. are you know are drawn to this kind of work um i think that's probably a phenomenon of, of kind of psychotherapy in general mm. um although i do have i do have have men come to me so it's primarily women um, they are the ones that are trying to heal themselves and heal their families. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of part of the, the, the identity of the contemporary woman now, yeah. you know, yeah. that's, that's the role that she's assuming. So it is mostly women. And we do a lot of work by noticing, um, you know, I teach people how to observe what's going on in their nervous system, in their body. And that's only part of it because, you know, that's that's kind of using a technique that's very similar to focusing. Mm. So there's a te there's a technique, very good one, by Eugene Gendlin called focusing, and, and that is part of it. Um, but what I do in it is I will then notice the little nuances of when somebody is, let's think about it, maybe they're, um, there's just something in their eyes or in the way that um, they may be, looking in a particular way or or pacing their voice in a particular way and I might say gee that seems like did you notice that your voice got a little bit quick then and I'll go yeah actually I think I did I'm not quite sure what that was about maybe I was just trying to run away from the story I said well okay that could be the answer but how about we just figure out by you slowing down what happens when you do 
So we don't go into the whole, oh, yeah, sure, there's probably a couple of, you know, explanations for why you did it. But if we can actually do an experiment and, you know, put your kind of put yourself through the process of slowing down, what happens then? And what do you notice happening in your body in response to this change that we're going to bring in? So that's one of the one of the things, and that's what a lot of people find useful is why I like to work one-on-one and why it's harder to work really in big groups because every nervous system presents differently. And so I can't really give people um, a whole heap of generic practices and processes because every person will deal with the stress in a different way. Mm. And, you know, I'll have some people come to me either in the clinic or via Skype and I'll notice that they're um, – they're, 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 you know, not making eye contact, for example. And so I'll actually make suggestions to them to play with even less eye contact and say, you know, how about, you know, maybe how would it be if you closed your eyes for a bit? Um, or how would it be if you turned away from me for a bit? Or how would it be if I turned away from you? And maybe if we reset set these chairs up differently, or we set up the, you know, the laptops, the screens differently so that we're not looking at each other face on. And then you tell me what happens in your body. And so it's all a bit of an experiment. But through those processes, and we start to, people start to go, oh, now I understand my nervous system and the way it interacts with others and in the world. And when people get this kind of um, intimate understanding of their own system that is beyond anything they've really done before uh the connection to their body is is phenomenal and that to me what i find when people get connected to their bodies and this really kind of deep part of their bodies um it's really kind of this is the sensations are are emitted really from our organs so that's how connected they are they're connected to their organs when they're following their sensations Mm. Um, and when they're that connected to them their body they become more connected to themselves and more aware of themselves and their identity and their purpose and and what they want and then they become more connected generally to others Um, and then you know and then the connection to spirit and community all kind of follow so if I were to give one word about the work that I do, it's about connection. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that, to me, underlies everything. Yeah, that it's makes so much sense. And, you know, when I'm listening to you, Raquel, the thing that keeps jumping out when you were telling me all these beautiful experiments that you do and how sensitive you are working with your clients and helping them to connect to their body because I think what happens is we get we want to escape the body if we've ever experienced anything that's discomfort or pain and when you get to realize that being in your body fully is like the safest place to be then yeah. things open up, right? I mean, it is about yeah. safe, feeling safe too, isn't it? So, and that's actually, that's the, you cannot do therapy unless you have the conditions for safety in place. Mm-hmm. And that's not about um, this kind of mental constructs of what safety is. So that's another experiment that I, I do with my clients is helping them um, help them notice when their body figures they're safe. Mm. Right. And so, you know, we go through life really doing a lot of overriding. People say, don't worry, everything's fine. You're safe here. And you go, okay, I'll believe that. But if you actually check in with your body, you're like, 
mm, I don't think my body really <laughs> believes that. You know, <laughs> thanks very much, but I'm not convinced. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's great when when you start to have that body and mind connection interaction whatever you want to call it and you know mm-hmm. I love this because you know I'm a I, I'm a long time yoga, yoga teacher, teacher. Yeah. and it's you know it's what I do it's like you know there's so much in the mental realm and we're conditioned to think that the mental realm is a, a I guess even a superior place to be or mm-hmm. a safer place to be mm-hmm. and yeah. um when we do in in my yoga classes anyway it's not about being in in the mental realm it's about really dropping away from the thinking all Mm. that thinking and concepts and everything and to just feel what's going on and just to be with that present moment and the next present moment and the next present moment so yeah it's amazing isn't it I was one thing I'd like to just kind of um elaborate on and speak about that in in relation to pain Mm -hmm. um because uh, it's really easy and tempting to, you know, if, if you were listening to you and I speaking, to go, okay, so I need to be with the pain that's in my body, okay? Yeah. Um, so the critical way when I work with people who have fibromyalgia is if we actually notice, and it, it takes some time because, um, you know, people are, are comp- they really can only notice the pain for quite some time. But after a while, you can actually help somebody recognize, and I get it time and time again, people say, oh, my God, it's actually only 20% of my body that's in pain. Mm, Wow. Um, And so that's the bit that's yelling at them, and that's the bit that they're yelling at everybody else and going, please help me, assist me, you you know, this is killing me, and it is. But actually, if we... If we find a way to be really curious and look really softly and gently, we can actually find so much more happening than just pain. Oh, I love what you're saying here, Raquel. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's what I'm hearing is, is that whole thing about, you know, we have that choice. Do we identify with the pain as the whole or can we step back and just see it for what it is it's not the whole of who we are it's just one bit that's in pain Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 it's when the 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 client person discovers that themselves Mm. that's when um when the the path to healing really begins Mm. you know when they can actually have that moment of oh oh my god it's not all of who i am and that you know and and i'll sometimes i assist that you know with I have in my clinic I have this you know lovely very soft um you know animal fur and I have microfibers and things like that that people you know when they're really got so much pain going on that they can just actually get in touch with something else and then tell me how that feels Mm. and I've never had anybody tell me that it hurts to you know stroke something soft um no yeah Mm. yeah I want to ask you um, on your own personal path and journey yeah. to becoming a healer. Did you ever have resistance to it? Oh my god! Did you fight against <laughs> it? <laughs> I actually like I was really, really wicked. I was bad, Aisha, because I <laughs> spirit asked me many times, and I, like I, I can, I can distinctly remember on one of the occasions I said, 
I don't want to be a psychologist. I don't want to listen to other people's problems. I couldn't think of anything worse. Like that was one of my responses. Mm. I couldn't think of anything worse than listening to other people's problems. So that was one of them. Um, and as things went on, you know, I, I got, you know, about, when was it? It was 2012. So five years ago today, I got really sick, really, really, really sick. And to a point where I was barely able to walk. Um, walking was a difficult thing. Even um, taking, I, I damaged my back and my spine in several places. And my spine was basically just disintegrating. Um, and I couldn't step even up a tiny little lip to get into the shower some days. I couldn't actually step, you know, what's, you know, like 10 centimetres to, to get into a shower. Some days I couldn't pull off my pyjama pants or put on pull on my, you know, um, clothes for the day. I couldn't do it. I was in so much pain. So generally I had to work out that if I had to do anything, because I still had function, if I had to do anything, I could only do it maybe once or twice a week involved actually moving. So otherwise I'd be racked for pain, with pain for, for days because usually there's so much pain in the recovery um, and, I, and I literally couldn't move. Um, even when I was 16, I, I had an injury um, which they now know is called chronic regional pain syndrome, but I actually lost the use. My arm was paralysed for a year. So, and it was only paralyzed because of the intense pain that my body was in, that my body actually shut down at the use of my arm. So my body's really quite clever in that respect when it's in a lot of pain, because I wasn't actually really connected to the level of pain I was in uh, until it really got bad. Um, but I've had a number of injuries throughout my life where I actually didn't know I was in pain. And so my body had to, you know, had to do something about that. But in 2012, I I was barely struggling and I was uh, on Ostudy payments. So I wasn't really, you know, basically everything I, I, I received from Ostudy was going to my rent. Um, there was very little anything of left to survive on. And my housemate um, didn't pay the rent and we were evicted. And um, I had like three days because it, because it was sent to her and she was away, the, the notice. Um, I had three days to get myself in order. And, and when you're that physically unable, three days, you know, it might as well be one hour. I mean, it just, it's not going to happen. Mm. So somehow or another, I managed to, you know, get, get everything into storage. And, and I thought I had arranged a place to live and two of them places fell through. So I ended up not actually having a place to live. Um, so I had my car and I had friends who would just put me up for a day, sometimes two, never more really. I had one friend who, who I stayed on her lounge room floor and, you know, if you've got a back injury, can you imagine sleeping on a lounge room floor, a blow-up mattress on a lounge room floor? It was excruciating and I could do that, did that for about a week. Um, so I was in, a, I was in a really bad state. I was basically I was homeless. I was jobless. I had no prospects for work because I was in so much pain. Um, and I was not in contact with my family, so they weren't, you know, willing or able to support me. I really didn't have anything. I had a car, really. And um, one night I was helping a friend, actually. I still was helping people. Um, and um, my car got illegally towed. Um, and it, it shouldn't have been towed, but it was. And um, I 
jumped online and um, throughout the course of the night discovered that this, you know, this, this practice of this company was was um, was illegal, but no nobody had ever been able to hold them to account, and everybody was saying what a terrible and evil man this person was, for you know repeatedly doing this to many people. I rang the police. They said there's nothing we can do about it, and good luck, you'll never get any help. Um, and cutting a long story short, the next day I managed to get somebody to from the the place where the car was to contact this man, and he agreed to let me get my car back without having to pay. Um, now, the way that it happened was is I'd spent the whole night praying for him. So I don't know where that had come from either. I just had this whole, I need to pray for this man. And when I got to pick, uh, got to pick up my car, I was like really nervous about what kind of person he was going to be because of all these horrible stories. And um, he handed me my car and I got into my car and the light, the car didn't start. So then I had to kind of wave him over. I couldn't run over because I couldn't walk. And I'm like, oh, excuse me, excuse me, can you help me? Like I need to leave but I can't get out, you know, I can't start my car. And he said, don't worry about it. I'll do one better than that. And he runs off and he comes back with this thing that looks like, you know, a defibrillator machine. And, you know, it's like oxygen tank and, you know, all of the kind of the defib paddles and everything else. And I'd never seen one before. And he jump starts my car. And I just had this flash of an image. And I said to him, I said, you, uh, do you have any health problems? And he said, oh, and went to tell me about how he was about to have his third heart operation. And that um, if this one wasn't successful, there was nothing more they could do for him. And I looked at him and I said, hmm, uh, I'd like to offer you a healing and I'd never done that before. That was the first time I had ever offered that to anybody since I was a kid, right, since I was 12 and doing all that stuff. And he, he I gave him a card and he, he, um, he accepted the card. And I knew when he took that card, I knew it wasn't about whether he contacted me for the healing or not. It was because spirit had been knocking on my door since I'd basically lost my legs and been ability to walk and everything else saying you know this is what you've got to do and I'd been saying no I'm not going to do it and I just knew in that moment that I actually had to say I was definitely committed to doing it and that was the first time I'd ever said yes and meant it mm. I kind of said yes a few times and it was like I'd lied I actually said yes haha I'm not doing it I'm not really not doing it that's how I had been in the past and this time I just – I knew he wasn't going to ever get into contact with me, but that didn't matter. I knew that in that moment I was spirit's instrument and I had to do my healing work. Oh. And I could not move off that path because I had basically been decimated. And, and it's true. Like my life turned around really quickly, really quickly. From that moment on, everything started to change. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that it's such a beautiful story and the catalyst and, and, and just saying, you know, surrendering basically to spirit saying, okay, I, you know, I'll do it. I surrender to what I'm meant to be doing instead of yeah. resisting it. And all that resistance causes so much pain and, yeah. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, thank you, thank you so much for sharing that, Raquel. That's a really beautiful, inspiring story because I think we do that even in doesn't even have to be that um, you know that big of an experience mm. like you had. I mean, I think we all say no sometimes to spirit in little ways, and yes. it's just a little reminder for us to pay attention and. You know, the clues are always there. Like spirit, you know, like the universe really does have our back and wants the best for us. And we often mm -hmm. get in the way with our little yeah. resistances and our little, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, sometimes just saying yes, even when we don't know what that means, is like it's just the most incredibly expanding and yeah. happy feeling that we can enter into. Well, even just recently, you know, um, I was telling you that I had intended to write a course for um, to help other healers and helping professionals understand about the nervous system and how they can use that to work with their clients, and that'll still happen. But I really had, um, you know, I, was, I thought that's where I was going next. And, you know, suddenly I, I it was really clear to me that there were more people who wanted one-on-one -on -one support and so, you know, contrary to, you know, good business ideas about, you know, how to leverage what you're doing, I've had my books were fully full, how do you leverage that? I actually noticed that Spirit just wanted me to do more one-on-ones, mm. which that required me to actually expand my nervous system again. So I had to actually go back and do more nervous system work to actually let in another day of clients a week mm. because, you know, I was... That was my capacity and then I had to expand my capacity to hold more people and more people's experiences. But that was the, that was what I was being asked to do and so I had to drop any idea about, you know, what was what was on my business trajectory and my business plan. Um, and I think that's probably, you know, for, for, for those of us who walk the healing path, that is what makes us different perhaps to other entrepreneurs and and you know, and business owners, is that we kind of, we are directed by something. Um, so everybody is directed by spirit, but we, we kind of have an obligation because we're there to support others in their purpose as well. Mm. Beautifully said. Well, Raquel, I, I know that you have an incredible amount of compassion and empathy, and how could you not, having gone through many of the experiences that you now help others with? Mm. So I want to let the listeners know if they want to work with you or inquire about working with you or get in touch with you in any way, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, so I have a website, and that really outlines all of my services and my way of working and gives a lot of information. So I'd, I'd, I think that's one of the best ways to, 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 to start contact, and that is um, RaquelDubois.com, so justmyname.com. Um, and then I'm also on Facebook as well. I've got a business page called Raquel Dubois Mind Body Mentoring, and that's, um, that's actually quite a busy and lively page with lots of information about the science of this sort of stuff. So, you know, I love to balance. I'm a bit, uh, so the Dalai Lama is kind of my, he's my inspiration and actually my guru. And that whole idea about the science of compassion and holding the neuroscience and also these other traditions of compassion, I feel like we're really aligned in that way. 
So, um, yeah, that's that kind of is what comes through on my page and I like to share that with people. So you can find me on Facebook that way as well. Yeah, and I'll put the links up on the show notes so the listeners Great. can find that easily. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for sharing your light and your gifts and everything that you've shared today to inspire us. Thank you so much, Raquel. Oh, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Aisha. Thank you all for being here today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to iTunes and give it a review and subscribe. And don't forget to join our private Facebook group, Brilliant Misfits. And for more information on living a creative life, www.asiakennedy.com.